Good morning, and welcome to your Friday Five, a weekly newscast from the Boston University News Service. It's November 8th, 2019. I'm Susanna Sudborough. And I'm Hannah Harn. Today we'll take a look at our top stories from this week, including an update on the Harvard Graduate Student Union strike, MBTA improvement delays, and the unofficial results of Tuesday's City Council election. Let's get started so you can start your day. The Harvard Graduate Student Union announced they will go on strike if the university does not reach an agreement on fair pay, health care, discrimination, and harassment protections by December 3rd, according to a press release sent Tuesday. The Harvard Graduate Student Union UAW Bargaining Committee today announced a strike deadline of December 3rd following the student workers' overwhelming 2,425 to 254 vote to authorize a strike, the statement said on Tuesday. The union chose the December 3rd deadline in hopes professors would feel the impact as finals approach and final papers are submitted. If I have a class on December 3rd, I will not be there, said first-year graduate student Libby Federici. I imagine for TAs and TFs, if they have papers to grade on December 3rd, they will not be grading them. Student research and teaching assistants voted to form the union in April of 2018. Since then, they have been negotiating with the university for a fair contract. According to the bargaining committee, the university continues to push back on issues of fair pay, comprehensive and affordable health care, and protections against discrimination and harassment. If Harvard fails to meet the December deadline, student workers across the university will strike, which would impact every department statement said. According to a statement from a Harvard spokesman Tuesday, the university feels a strike is unwarranted. HGSU UAW is making a choice to potentially disrupt the academic work of all Harvard students as they wrap up the semester, which is disappointing, the statement said. We will work across the university to prepare for a strike and make every attempt to reduce any negative impact on the students as they are wrapping up the semester's academic work. According to Harvard spokesman, three upcoming bargaining sessions are scheduled for November. This story was contributed by Sammy Purcell and Sabrina Schnur. Nia Reed Patterson had tears in her eyes explaining why her eight-year-old son no longer wants to visit his father in jail. He loves his father, and it has nothing to do with his father, but it's just the treatment we have to go through when we're constantly trying to come see him, she said, sobbing. Reed Patterson, who has been visiting her husband in jail for eight years now, said she has been disrespected, humiliated, and treated as if she was a criminal by the guards. Relatives of incarcerated individuals like Reed Patterson of Dorchester provided the stories of their own mistreatment in prisons at a briefing by legislators in the State House this week, voicing their support for a bill that would improve jail visitation policies. The passage of the criminal justice bill last year marked the single most comprehensive piece of legislation related to the incarcerated, most notably mandating more humane treatment of prisoners. However, the Massachusetts Department of Correction has not fully complied with these provisions and have enacted their own regulations in prisons, State Representative Lindsay Sabadosa of Northampton said. Sabadosa said she co-sponsored the legislation because of the DOC's actions. The aim of the House bill is to loosen these restrictions, including removing limitations on the number of unique visitors and preventing officers from turning people away on the basis of their clothes. It feels wrong when you have the legislator asking the body to do one thing, and then that group does something different, she said. One of the critical factors in prison is preserving family and friend relationships that are so integral in everyday life, Sabadosa said. When we start talking about prisons, all of a sudden the rules that we use in a society kind of get thrown out the window. 
While the bill has not been through a hearing yet, she said she thinks it will advance soon. In the meantime, it is important for lawmakers to remain vigilant about what correctional facilities in Massachusetts are doing. My real hope, she said, is that we stop this belief that when people are incarcerated, it means they need to be cut off from the world. This story was contributed by Nura Datia. While Boston residents have access to numerous public transit options, service choices decrease the further you get from the city. For Metro West commuters looking to travel via rail, there's just one, the Framingham-Worcester line. A one-way ride from Framingham to South Station rings up at $9.75, and a round-trip ticket is nearly $20. Combined with limited departure times, especially during off-peak hours, the commuter rail can seem like a subpar choice. Nevertheless, about 2.5 million riders board the commuter rail each month. The Massachusetts Bay Transit Authority is considering options for improving the rail network as part of its Rail Vision project. It's part of the MBTA's Building a Better T, a five-year capital investment plan that began in July 2018. Rail Vision focuses specifically on the commuter rail. There are six improvement plans under consideration, including diesel and electrified service, increasing the number of bi-directional trains, unconstrained parking at some stations, and even decreased fares. Last year, RailVision published a full review of 16 comparable rail systems throughout the world. It found that only two U.S. systems were fully reliant on diesel-powered locomotives. None of the international rails it studied used diesel technology. In fact, 10 of the 16 assessed are fully electrified. The MBTA is also gradually working toward full implementation of positive train control, which alerts engineers of trains that are moving too fast or if there is a possible collision. Congress mandated certain rail systems implement the system in 2018. The MBTA is one of many rail systems nationally that has struggled to meet deadlines to implement this safety measure. Congress has extended the positive train control implementation deadline three times, with the MBTA receiving an additional extension until 2020. This story was contributed by Lindsay Vickers. Jury trial began this week in a civil case against five Peabody police officers and the city itself after the officers were accused of beating a teenager until he developed epilepsy, the boy's attorney argued Tuesday in federal court. Plaintiff Tyler Legobrowski claims on March 28, 2015, he was unjustly assaulted while being placed under police custody of officers David McGovern and Antonio Santos at the McDonald's on Main Street in Peabody. Legobrowski states in the legal complaint that he was exercising his right not to answer questions when officers assaulted the then 16-year-old. Over time, you could tell that Tyler's demeanor had somewhat changed. Alex Pasquale, a friend of Legobrowski's, testified about the plaintiff following the incident. Before the incident, he was a very laid-back individual. After the incident, he seemed more aggressive. His demeanor had changed from the incident. The legal complaint states that Legobrowski received a traumatic brain injury from the alleged assault, resulting in seizures and or epilepsy. During the testimonies, prosecutors often referenced a large printed picture of Legobrowski lying in a hospital bed, bruised and wrapped with bandages. Santos described the teenager as a wild man who was strong enough to resist two officers who were over 200 pounds and over six feet tall. The legal complaint described the altercation as officers beating Legobrowski while he lie on the bathroom floor. Both the legal complaint and Santos's testimony agree that the physical altercation ended when Legobrowski was pepper sprayed while he was lying face down in the bathroom. By this time, a third officer, James Harkins, had arrived to the scene. 
Harkins testified that he entered and saw Santos and McGovern holding down Legerbroski and trying to connect the handcuffs that they had placed on his arms. The officers then lifted Legerbroski from the ground, and Harkins led him into his cruiser, adding in his testimony that the teenager was yelling and abrasive throughout. Legerbroski and McGovern are both expected to testify on Wednesday. This story was contributed by Chris O'Brien. Last but not least, Bostonians ventured out in a downpour Tuesday to decide who will represent them on city council. While most of the district races were not highly contested, the councillor-at-large race was anyone's game, with the difference between a winner and a loser coming down to 10 votes in one case. Tuesday night's unofficial results placed incumbents Michelle Wu, Anissa Asabi-George, and Michael Flaherty, as well as challenger Julia Mejia in at-large seats. Alejandra St. Guillen, one of eight candidates for Boston City Council at large, called for a recount in a statement on Tuesday night as results showed only a 10-vote difference between her and fellow candidate Julia Mejia for the fourth at-large seat. We are so proud of the campaign we ran, and in order to fight for a better Boston for all, every vote needs to be counted, and we are requesting a recount, said St. Guillen in the statement. This campaign engaged thousands of voters across the city to ultimately be separated by just 10 voters. Every voter who came out and cast a ballot, whether it be absentee, in the voting booth, or provisionally, deserves a full and complete count to determine who is our next city councilor at large. For the rest of our results, visit bunewservice.com slash podcasts and click on today's episode. That's it for your Friday Five. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. For the full versions of this week's stories, visit bunewservice.com slash podcasts and click on today's episode. We'd like to thank today's contributing writers, Sammy Purcell, Sabrina Schnur, Lindsay Vickers, Noor Adatia, and Chris O'Brien, as well as our production team. This week's episode of Friday Five was produced by Hannah Harn. And be sure to check out our latest episode of Between the Bylines, where we sit down with our contributors to discuss our top stories through the lens of student journalism. Visit us online at bunewsservice.com slash podcasts for more information.